What's up, my dudes? Welcome back to the Mezcla. It's El, your Radio Reina. And after a month-long hiatus, I am proud and happy to say that I am back. I want to start this week off by thanking you all so, so much for your patience. It's been really heartwarming to see all of your messages, checking in and seeing if the podcast will return. And yes, the Mezcla is absolutely here to stay. For those of you who know me outside of the podcast world, I work in the radio broadcasting industry which from time to time can get super, super crazy. The past few weeks I've kind of been working my butt off between doing events and concerts and, you know, one of the most time-consuming events in the world, which is working all day, all day of the Kentucky State Fair, every day, which is 10 days. Let me tell you, it was rough. I worked anywhere from 58 to 66 hours a week during that time, so I've had little to no free time. Again, I'm super sorry for disappearing, but the Mezcla isn't going anywhere. And thank you so, so much for bearing with me and for being patient. That being said, let's get started. I've clearly had like a lot of time to stew on what I want this episode to be about. And I've decided it's time to talk about one of my many, many passions. I do love me a good video game. I'm going to make this disclaimer now. This may contain spoilers of some sort if you're into video game spoilers so be forewarned but before I get a thousand questions I play on PS4 specifically I play a lot of horror and survival RPG games I don't play a lot of team-based games so you won't really see me playing Fortnite or Overwatch much because I don't do well with others in the video game world but I love horror and survival RPGs because I know deep down in my heart if they were to manifest in real life I would be dead like almost immediately instantaneously I'm incredibly good at survival RPGs but in real life it would not it would not work basically the way I look at it is When I'm playing a survival RPG, I have the ability to play them in the comfort of my own home where my lack of athleticism doesn't really play a part. But I joke around a lot that if the zombie apocalypse or the alien invasion ever happens, I'd probably just tap out immediately. Never bother trying trying to survive. Which, yeah, kind of sounds dark, but it's sort of my truth. A world based solely on survival and not actually having any happiness or reason to survive is kind of not my cup of tea and so I keep it isolated to the virtual world of my PS4. My personal favorite games include the Fallout series. I'm not kidding like I'm obsessed with the Fallout series. I carry around like a Voltec backpack in real life and I get a loot crate for Fallout. I just I love everything about that game. I also really like Until Dawn, Left 4 Dead, Silent Hill, things along those lines. Recently I've been replaying um, Fallout New Vegas while simultaneously playing playing this new horror survival game developed by, I think it's Compulsion Games. It's called We Happy Few. Before I dive into why I'm not cut out for real life survival scenarios, let me discuss where I'm currently at with We Happy Few. For those of you who haven't heard of the game, We Happy Few is set in a post-German occupation dystopian English society. And basically the concept of blending in literally is a matter of life or death. So it's what would happen in like the way I like to describe the feel of this game is if Brave New World in 1984 had a baby, but also threw in a lot more horror. That's what We Happy Few is. Um, But basically, to give you the gist of it, 
Citizens are required to take a drug known as Joy, and it's essentially like a hyper Lexapro. It puts people into like an overly happy and cheerful denial of all bad things in the world. So like the drug will literally cause you to hallucinate bad situations into good ones. Like there's a whole scene with a pinata and and this is like the first five minutes, mind you, there's a whole scene with a pinata where you're beating up this pinata to try to get to the candy. Turns out the whole time you were beating a, a rat and everybody was trying to eat the insides of the rat, not candy so it's pretty it's pretty gross and dark but anyway if you're off your joy you're immediately noticed and you're called a downer which ultimately leads to death or exile but the catch is that you have to get off your joy to play through the story and you have to remember your past regrets and try to redeem yourself in some way so each story is kind of really sad in a way and you're trying to figure out how to get out of that and go back to a less regret-filled life once you're off your joy. The thing is, if you're around characters on their joy and you're off your joy, you're basically targeted and killed. And if you're around characters off their joy, you can blend in easier, but you have to learn the rules or else they will also try to kill you. So you definitely have to pay attention to the norms of the game. The key is to follow the rules no matter what, you know, which town or city you're in in the game but you basically play through the stories of three different reasonably terrible characters like not they're not terrible characters but they're terrible people for some reason I'm not going to get too much in depth on their story because I don't want to spoil that too much but basically their stories all somehow intertwine so the first uh the first story is a guy named Arthur and he works at a newspaper censorship company and he's a redactor so he goes through news stories and he redacts anyone that isn't fit for the public to see. Their whole goal is to basically erase negativity of the past. You can only see past stories that were happy. So um, he remembers a scenario where his brother was taken from him during the German occupation um, and his flashback kind of causes him to go off of his joy. But when he does that, the people around him notice and he's chased out of the city, um, which is called Wellington Wells. The second story is about Sally, who's the creator of Joy. She's like a chemist and she had a baby in Wellington Wells, which is basically unheard of. There's not babies or kids, really. It's a thing. Her story is pretty, pretty sad and brutal also. But finally, the other story you have is Ollie. And um, Ollie was a soldier in the British army. And he ends up basically going insane after having to live as a recluse in the garden district. So each story is kind of unique in its own separate way. And it... The game, it sounds great for a horror and survival RPG in theory, but the game itself is almost so outrageously aggravating that it's almost borderline impossible to enjoy yourself. One, there's a million glitches, but I mean, honestly, it's expected of a brand new indie game. Glitches happen, but there's like an overwhelming amount. Like I had to restart the game completely over because of a glitch maybe an hour and a half into the game. Number two is you have to take your joy to blend in in Wellington Wells. But if you take too much joy too quickly, you overdose and everyone tries to kill you. Or if you take too much joy over the course of time, so slowly, but you're still basically taking it, you risk memory, memory loss, which hinders the game. And then makes it harder for you to, you know, achieve your goals. But Joy, unless you're in Wellington Wells, you can't find it. You don't have it. And technically you don't need it until you get to Wellington Wells. But otherwise, you don't really have access to that. But um, additionally, finding and owning a weapon in Wellington Wells to protect yourself in bad situations is 
nearly impossible. Wellington Wells is like a dead zone for helpful objects when you first return. They take all your stuff away from outside. And there's not really stuff for you to get inside. The rules in Wellington Wells are also kind of hard to follow. Like you can't do anything conspicuous, so you can't run or jump and you basically have to greet people or else they get angry and accuse you of being a downer. But the thing is, is if you say you accidentally run or jump, it'll immediately like warn you like, hey, don't accidentally do that again or else we are literally going to have the whole city try to kill you. That's just how it works. It's not just police. It's literally everyone in the city will try to kill you if you stand out in any way, shape, or form. You kind of, you also have to wear proper clothes. Like you can't have anything ripped. You can't change your outfit. You have to wear a specific outfit in Wellington Wells or else they'll get mad. Overall, it's pretty infuriating. Again, the game has the right idea, but the gameplay is almost so contradictory that it makes it really, really difficult to win. That's hard for me to say because I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm super good at survival RPGs. I... I've beaten every game that I've played and this one's just, you get to the point where you're so aggravated in the current situation that you're like, all right, I'm done. That's it. I give up for the day. But now that I've kind of walked you a little bit through the game and what it's like, I want to talk about why I would not do well if this were a real life scenario. First things first, like I'm already bad at blending in anywhere in real life. Like I'm a short, chubby Latina covered in tattoos. I'm pretty outspoken. And if there's anything that raises suspicion, it's being an outspoken and tattooed Latina in modern America. Granted, the game doesn't take place in America. It takes place in Europe. But regardless, I can't imagine I would blend in any better there. (laughs) From having people follow me around stores, making sure I'm not stealing to telling me to go back to my country, even though I was born in Kentucky in Puerto Rico's U.S. territory. I clearly don't, I already don't blend in well. Additionally, the neighborhood I currently live in is basically the epitome of Wellington Wells. A lot of my friends literally compare it to a Stepford Wives scenario. I'm not even sure people here aren't already conducting sacrifices. It's just kind of the vibe this neighborhood gives off. If this were Wellington Wells, real talk, I would be hunted down so fast. I don't even think I would get the option to take some joy. I I would be a pretty solid target in this situation. Aside from this, if being in the game virtually is a pain in the ass, there is no way that I would have the patience and understanding to want to actually try to blend in with the hidden fear of being murdered if I even do so much as like walk too fast or wear the wrong thing. On the other hand, it's kind of like the sad reality that sometimes I feel as though we're already sort of living in this kind of world. Like, think about it. Like, politics aside, we can't always trust the media. We don't know what's being censored, what's being changed. People sweep huge issues under the rug a lot. Being different is occasionally frowned upon. This makes me think that I'm already maybe kind of surviving this situation, but on like a super, super small scale. Regardless, ain't nobody got time for all this conformity, and I do not care enough what people think to even want to try to survive real life we happy few. I'd probably just give up, and to be totally honest, my final verdict, I would be dead pretty immediately in real life. At least I can admit that though, right? Now that I talked about a genuinely infuriating game, let's talk about some of the ones I actually adore. The Fallout series developed by Bethesda have stood out as my favorite game throughout literally my entire life. There has been no point where I'm like, hey, this game is really close to making me feel how Fallout makes me feel. It hasn't happened yet. To preface this so no one gets angry, I'm going to talk about them in a general sense and not individually, even though each game has its own kind of personality. 
It just, it would be way too much to fit into this, this small podcast. Basically, if you haven't played Fallout, it's based in a post-war apocalyptic future, which is like both weirdly technologically advanced, but clearly still devastated by nuclear fallout. So like roughly it's got like a 1950s feel, but there's a lot of technology, but also everything has been destroyed by nuclear war. Your survival is basically determined in an almost choose your own adventure kind of way, which gives you the option to like decide which side you want to be on. Depending on the game, like say if you take fallout 4 for example you can choose to be a Minuteman, which is kind of fighting to help individuals rebuild and fight off like raiders or you can potentially join like the brotherhood of steel which is kind of like a militant police force type thing protecting society depending on how you want to look at it or you can even join forces with sides who aren't like always a clear good guy like in the fourth game you can join the institute which essentially is viewed as the bad guy throughout the entire game and then you kind of get a reason to feel like okay maybe they're not so bad and and you can either choose to join them or not. And that will change the game. On top of this, you're also forced to fight monsters created by nuclear devastation, ranging from small things to rad roaches and blood bugs, which are basically like giant roaches and giant mosquitoes with radiation issues. <laughs> and then there's also large scale monsters like death claws. And the way I can describe a death claw is almost like any movie that involves the apocalypse where they're showing like Satan hounds coming up and like killing people. It's like that if you were to make it the size of like, I'm gonna rough it here. Like if you were to make a hellhound like the size of a of an elephant, that's what a death claw is, except it's radiated and mean and really hard to kill. So one of the hardest i mean one of the hardest monsters to kill in my opinion is called the swan it's literally hidden in this random little pond in the middle of fallout 4 and it's super hard to kill and it's enormous but that's the thing is there's different size monsters you can fight robots ghouls super mutants each game kind of has its own unique set of monsters but the good thing is that regardless of the monsters, you have like a massive assortment of weapons you can choose from, as well as the ability to take companions along with you, which granted, some of the companions are super useless. <coughs> Preston Garvey, <coughs> Piper. Um, oh, sorry. Hmm. Just got a cough there. <coughs> but it's kind of better than the loneliness and isolation of We Happy Few. Like We Happy Few, there's not a lot of helpful people at all. You kind of are on your own. And not to toot my own here, horn here, but I'm pretty amazing at Fallout. Like, really, really, really good. But I know that I would immediately be dead if this were <laughs> even close to a real-life situation. One, the VAT system doesn't exist in real life. In Fallout, for those of you who haven't played, it has this system of causing damage called VATs, which basically targets body parts to cause damage. Once you get your accuracy up, you basically have a guaranteed hit. You know, it, it shoots for you, essentially. Without Without that in real life, my hand-eye coordination would 100% screw me over. I, you know, I played tennis for like six years and then quit, but I lost, after that, I lost all sense of hand-eye coordination. That's why I played soccer for 10 years. Like, it, it got to a point to where it, that my hand-eye coordination is not useful to me at all. So if it came to, you know, having a gun, I would not have proper aim. <laughs> Additionally, like, in the game, I majorly prefer melee weapons. P specifically, like, if I were to tell you my favorite weapon, this one, again, is in Fallout 4. It's one that you get from um, one of the expansions for Nuka World. Um, you get this slugger bat. And it's this super modded out baseball bat with barbed wire and flames, and it does a bunch of damage. But in, in, real, in real life, modern America, everyone owns a gun. So 
I would get shot immediately. Like I would be running at somebody with a baseball bat or an axe or, you know, anything. And they would just shoot me down. In Fallout, it's fine because they have to shoot you like 12 times before you actually die. But that's not how, that's not how life works. You and I, we both know that's not how life works. So I'd get shot like once or twice and be out. Honestly, I'd probably tap out if I got grazed by a bullet. I'm a big baby. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't last. Let's be completely honest with each other here. I would I would tap out as soon as I got grazed by one bullet. Following that, like Fallout gives you kind of like helpful perks when you level up. You basically choose perks. Like some of them you can cause more damage with melee weapons or, you know, if you choose like one, there's one called Black Widow, like you do more damage to men if you're playing as a woman. Like that's that's really helpful, but that's not how life works. <laughs> so in a way, like Fallout kind of hyper romanticizes life in post-apocalyptic America. The second reason I probably wouldn't last is, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say it again. I do not have the physical stamina it would require to survive. My chubby ass cannot outrun villains and monsters, let alone carry around the amount of food, healthcare, and weapons it would require to live in this situation. I'm like perpetually exhausted now. I don't have the ability to think quickly enough to save my own ass in real life. In the game, you can like pause and think about how you're gonna handle this situation. Like, okay, I'm fighting this Deathclaw. Maybe I should arm myself with a with a mini nuke. You have the chance to like pause and do that. If I were to do that in real life, you know, you, it's kind of one of those situations where like, you better decide now unless you're trying to die. But the first time I would see a Deathclaw in real life, I would probably faint. Like, I don't, I, I cry every time I see a daddy long leg. So giant ass bugs and monsters are definitely a no-go for me. Like, I'm not, I wish I were kidding. A month ago, I literally cried because I was told that there was a daddy long leg in the house. I didn't even see it, but I still cried. It's not a thing I can handle. And Knowing me, I would probably rely heavily on allies and companions, form like a team like Walking Dead or hide out in a vault and never leave. You know, I could I could picture myself having a nice life in Diamond City or Good Neighbor or somewhere where I don't have to run or fight anything. But ultimately, I feel like I would definitely be down and out for the count. Final verdict, yet again, dead or potentially hiding. Since we've talked about post-war scenarios, let's move on to some actual like horror that doesn't involve end of the world type stuff. The game Until Dawn is another one of my favorites. It was developed by Supermassive Games and it's an indie game. But honestly, based on the gameplay, you can't really tell. Um, I didn't deal with any glitching and the storyline is killer. Also, the, the cast of voice actors is like weirdly crazy. Some of the most noticeable people you might hear are like Hayden Panettiere, Peter Stamare and Rami Malek. Literally the characters look like the actors. So it's almost like you're you're watching Hayden Panettiere try to survive this horrible situation. Basically the game transitions between scenes with a therapist, quote unquote therapist. The gameplay is basically of you surviving the night in a cabin that's being attacked by something. Um, much like Silent Hill, the game learns more about what you fear and it kind of tailors the playing to your selections that are determined through these, again, quote unquote therapy sessions. I'm doing this on purpose because these therapy sessions are not normal. It, they get spooky and weird and your therapist is not a helpful person. Essentially, there's a bunch of different outcomes based on the choices you make. And as you continue to attempt to survive this night, you have to find out if you're dealing with a killer amongst your friends or if you're dealing with like an actual monster. Spoiler alert, it's an actual monster, but you and your friends are actually also still terrible people. And one of your friends is still a major problem. It turns out you're dealing with Wendigos. 
if you've listened to any of my previous episodes, you know that I love me some good urban legends. So I was pretty stoked when I found out it was Wendigos. But for all you non-spooky people, let's talk about what a Wendigo is. A Wendigo is actually a monster. It comes from Native American folklore. And essentially, it's an evil spirit that took over a human who became a cannibal, but is now a monster that eats humans. So a human becomes a man-eating monster. So originally, the Wendigo was like an evil spirit and it had the ability to possess and turn others into Wendigos. Big issue during like colonial times, apparently, you know, according to folklore. I can't say that that really happened. I, I sure, I'm sure it did. I, those colonials, man, there's some crazy ones. I don't know what happened to Roanoke, but they're Wendigos now. All right, so they definitely, the thing is to understand, they don't look like humans. There are a lot of different portrayals of Wendigos. Sometimes they're like half animal, half human, but basically until Dawn goes the route of them being like a cross between a vampire and Smeagol from Lord of the Rings, but with weird athletic ability. Like think like 28 days later. So they're super fast and agile, but super feral at the same time. And they're not necessarily like a ghoul from Fallout because these things are like hunters through and through. Like ghouls in Fallout are pretty friggin' dumb and not good at hunting, but these things are so smart and really good and really fast, really good at killing things. Real talk, they're pretty gross looking. They're also known to kind of drive, like drive people insane before actually killing them. So like insanity is a big issue with Wendigos and insatiability is what makes them really scary. Like Wendigos will always eat a person. It's not like, you know, it's kind of like me. Like if I'm hungry, well, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. But if I'm not hungry, I'm also still probably going to eat. Wendigos are kind of like that, except with with human flesh. Fun fact about Wendigos, they basically live forever. So unless you somehow find a way to kill one, they don't die on their own. Um, they basically live forever, they're always hungry, and they're super dangerous. On top of that, this is my actual fun fact. Wendigo psychosis is actually like a real psychological disorder. Um, what separates it from cannibalism is that with cannibalism, it, that, that sometimes happens out of desperation like there's no other choice on what you have to eat wendigos literally not wendigos wendigo psychosis those people literally have every opportunity to eat normal food but they choose to eat humans anyway so i kind of think of hannibal you know it's like an overwhelming urge to eat human flesh but you do have the option to eat other things wendigos though i don't know why they specifically call it wendigo psychosis because they say that it starts from people eating other people because they had no other food but i don't know the exact definition of one to go psychosis but from what i've been told it's kind of like hannibal like he can eat human food he just chooses to eat people you know normal things until dawn it's what's great about it is it's kind of like both a mystery and survival based so like the horror goes without say like saying but basically you don't learn about the wendigos till later and you're trying to find out like what brought them there and at the same time you're having the situation with one of your psycho friends let's talk about why i would immediately die in this game if it reached real life this one i'm gonna be so bold as to say when it comes to Wendigos, I would die the quickest because I'm not fast and I don't run, but we'll get to that. Number one, Wendigos are fast. Like really, really, really fast. And they never get tired until dawn. You know, I'm sure that's why they call it that, which is when they retreat. You basically have to survive until dawn. And I am the, I'm the worst runner in the world. This game definitely requires you to make a lot of super fast decisions. Or guess what? You die. So these decisions are literally like a split second of deciding which direction you're gonna go, whether to jump over something or duck under it. And if you don't make a decision, you still die. Man, 
I can't react quickly enough in the game, let alone having a split second to decide where to run in real life. Again, I'm not a good runner, nor am I physically fit enough to be jumping and sliding to avoid a man-eating magical demon. It's also not as easy as don't leave the cabin then, because there's a million reasons in the game that you definitely have to leave the cabin. Not to mention one of your friends is like, okay, so as I mentioned earlier, you and your friends in this game are not good people. You're just, not that you're like, well, some of them are kind of evil, but like, you're just not good, respectable people. One of your friends in the game is basically out for revenge and is kidnapping people and causing a bunch of scary things to happen. So you kind of have to make your choice between the psychotic friend in the cabin or the one that goes outside of the cabin. Personally, I could probably handle the psychotic friend situation like way better than the Wendigos. Honestly, I think there's like a good... 40% chance that I could survive a psychotic friend. But the Wendigos, there's like 0% chance. There's no hope for me. They would be feasting on my slow chubby ass like instantaneously. I would be Thanksgiving dinner for Wendigos. And it would be an easy kill. It would be an easy kill. But also knowing me, instead of bothering to try running, I'd probably just be like, screw it. This is, uh, this is how I die. This is it. Bon appetit, ancient assholes, because I, I give in. I'm not going to bother. Final verdict. Wendigos, I would immediately be killed and eaten. Psycho vengeful friends, there's at least a chance that maybe I could survive. Because I'm smart. I'm just not athletic. So I could probably outsmart a psychopath if I had to, especially with all the horror movies I watch. Like I said, I'm good at survival when it comes to thinking things through. It's just spur of the moment, fast things. I, I would need a little more time. So as you can tell in video games, I like having the help of over romanticized situations playing in my favor. But when it comes to like real life, I'm, I'm not lucky enough to be able to handle that. I'm a super, super non-confrontational person and I avoid drama like the plague. So my bravery and coolness is not as active <laughs> in real life situations but in video games I'm fine I'm totally cool it's like one of those situations in like a movie like you'd probably be disappointed like if you met me in real life and we've been playing a video game together but aside from that you know I'm pretty great with the games themselves but guess what I like video games because they let me experience situations that I would otherwise not experience in my everyday life I don't want to deal with Wendigos in real life I don't want to deal with murderers in real life. I don't want to fight a death claw in real life. But if I am in my basement fighting a death claw, hell yeah, sign me up. Anytime you guys want to do some virtual ass kicking in survival, count me in. But if we ever get into a horror or survival situation, if you ever need comedic relief or misplaced positivity, I'm probably your go-to. Anyway, that's all I've got for you guys today. I've had a lot of fun recording this one because I had the opportunity to combine like something I love with the opportunity to poke fun at myself because everybody should have the ability to do that. I'm not self-deprecating or hating on myself. I just know I can be realistic and talk about it without it hurting my feelings. Even if I'm not the best companion in real life apocalyptic situations, you best believe that I'm gonna try to make you smile regardless. On top of that, I'd love to hear what some of your favorite games are and how you think you'd fare in a less than ideal world. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening to this week's episode of The Mezclaw. After the return, I'm Elle, your Radio Reina, and I'll see you next time.